My goodness, what a message in that song. Thank you so much. Thank you, our praise team. Thanks for the choir. Uh, thanks for Kyle and Shalana singing for us just uh, that last song. And thank all of you for worshiping this morning. It is a time to come to the Lord's house to worship. And thank you for your participation in worship. If you brought your copy of God's Word, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We want to look at verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. I want to share with you a sermon that I've just entitled, The Sin That Thrills Is the Sin That Kills. The sin that thrills ultimately will be the sin that kills. 1 Corinthians 6. 9 through 11. Verse 9, Know ye not, King James says, Know ye not. Some translations have, Do ye not know? It's a rhetorical question. Know ye not? Do ye not know? Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor infeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, and ye are sanctified, and ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9-11, through 11, the Apostle Paul begins to break down a list of sin that describes the cultural climate that the church of Corinth found itself in. When we read these sins, it's obvious that they, the Christians then, were faced with the same kind of culture that we find ourselves faced with Today, they were living in a world of ungodliness. They were raising their children in a world of ungodliness. They were uh, serving God in a world, in a culture of ungodliness. However, the problem with the church at Corinth was the church had become soft on sin. The problem with the church at Corinth is the church had become soft on sin. Now, if you're not careful, there is a temptation, if you live in a culture of sin, to soften your stance on sin. Uh, maybe to reach more people. Maybe to uh, help your outreach program. Or maybe to help your evangelism program. But let me remind you that our Lord Jesus died on the cross... Because of sin. Sin nailed the Lord Jesus to the cross. Sin is destructive. Sin will defeat you. And sin will dominate you. And sin will ultimately destroy you. John the Baptist was a forerunner of Jesus. 
In Luke chapter 7, verse 25, Jesus said, But what did you go out to see? I mean, when you went out to the wilderness, what did you go out there to see? Did you, see a, did you go out to see a man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in the king's court. What did you go out there to see? What did you go out to see? But what you went out for to see a prophet. Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. So John the Baptist was not a person that was soft on sin. And so this morning I want to point out three things while God speaks to us in a message that I just simply entitled, the sin that thrills you is the sin that kills you. And the sin that thrills you will ultimately be the sin that kills you. First of all, if you take your notes, and I wish you would, because this comes back, you can share it with friends and family, people that are struggling with some of these sins that, that Paul mentioned that people were guilty of that would not enter the kingdom of heaven. There's sermon note sheets out there, so pick up some and jot down some information. Scripture, it may help you in the long run. First of all, sin is dangerous. You say, well, how dangerous is sin, Brother Sammy? Well, it could bar you, it could prevent you from spending eternity with Jesus in a place called heaven forever. Verse 9, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? When the Bible describes these sins and connects them with the phrase, don't you know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? That is serious business. That says that sin is dangerous. That says sin is serious. If I ask how many of you want to go to hell today, raise your hand. I, I would think not any would raise their hand. How many would want to go to heaven? 100%. This is how dangerous sin is. These sins particular, he mentioned, he says no one that has a lifestyle of these sins will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now notice the passage is not giving us a list of sins that will cause us to lose our salvation. We believe eternal life is eternal life. We believe everlasting life is everlasting life. We're not preaching a, a a sinless perfection in life. We know that we're sinners. This list of sins does not cause us to lose our salvation, but this list of sins describes how people behave and how people act and how people live who don't have salvation. Big difference. So Paul is saying those who continue living a lifestyle, those who continue living a lifestyle of unrighteousness, those who practice this type of lifestyle, those who habitually live this lifestyle, those who continue in fornication, continue to live a life of adultery and homosexuality and thievery and being covetous or greedy and being drunkards and so forth, will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, don't get mad at the messenger. Talk to God about this. I'm just delivering his word. Now, why will they not enter the kingdom of heaven? Real simple, because they're not right with God. They're not right with God. Now, the sins 
that are listed here are not just occasional lapses into sin. I mean, it's just not something we just occasionally do. He's not talking about occasional lapse of sin. He's talking about habitual, a ongoing practice of unrighteousness. That's what he's talking about. A habit of life. Uh, a lifestyle. In other words, those who continue in fornication and those things listed there. I mean, it's their way of life. It's, it's their lifestyle. 1 John 1, 9, speaking of, we're not talking about a sinless perfection. 1 John 1, 9, we quote from time to time, is speaking to Christians. And, and John says that if you confess your sins, Christian, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all of unrighteousness. Unrighteousness. The Bible says the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Look at verse 9. It says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not, what? Inherit. That's a very important word. Underline that because that word inherit tells me that I don't get to heaven by doing good works. I inherited my salvation. And an inheritance is something that you receive. Uh, inheritance is something that, that someone gives you. Uh, you don't uh, purchase it. You don't earn it. It's, it's not something purchased or earned. It's something that is given to you. You can, you can reject an inheritance. If Mike Norton wants to leave me everything he's got, I ain't rejecting his inheritance. He, he may say, mine, mine may be different with Mike, but no, seriously. An inheritance is something that we can that, that we can reject or accept. And so eternal life in heaven with Jesus is the inheritance. It's an inheritance. It's what God offers to those who, who acknowledge themselves as a sinner, who, who confess their sins, who repent of their sins, and by faith place faith in Jesus Christ to be their Lord and their Savior. And then they will experience a new birth, and by faith they now have... After they're born again, they, have now, they now have the righteousness of Jesus Christ and not self-righteous. And with the Holy Spirit in us, it empowers us, or He empowers us, empowers us to, to live righteous before God. So our position as a Christian is righteousness. Our practice is to live righteous and to let our practice uh, match our position. If you say you're righteous, you need to live righteous. Your righteousness needs to practice, uh, needs to, to, to reflect your position. Verse 9, look what he said in verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived which simply means not everybody that says they're going to heaven is going to heaven. Be not deceived. The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But those who practice righteousness because they've been saved by grace through faith and they have a new nature and God's changed the way they live and He's cleansed them by His precious blood, then they have eternal life. 
So the Bible teaches us that sin is dangerous because it will condemn us forever and it will cause us to miss eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ. So first, sin is dangerous. But secondly, notice that sin is deceptive. Sin is deceptive. You see, Satan wants us to soften our stance on sin. Satan wants us to not look at sin as dangerous. Uh, he doesn't want us to see the dangerousness of sin. Uh, in the same way, he wants us to believe that sin is not so sinful. Uh, it's really not a big thing. And that's where we are right now in America. There's things happening in America today that 50 years ago we would have said would have been abnormal. Now we say that it's normal. All of a sudden, we soften our stance on sin. Things happening we never would have believed 50 years ago would be happening today. Things that we don't even blush at anymore. Words said on TV or in mixed company. It's just a habit now, and we just we, have, we go on because that's a part of our culture. Satan is a Satan is deceptive. Satan is a destroyer. He is called the Apollyon in Revelation nine verse eleven. He's a destroyer. Have you ever noticed as you study the Bible, from time to time, Satan is referred to as animals. He's described as different animals. Some commentaries said that this shows his carnivorous side, this shows his flesh-eating side, but primarily this shows his destructive side. Genesis 3, you have him described as a serpent. Also in 2 Corinthians 11, Revelation chapter 12, described as a serpent deceiving the people of God. Matthew 13, 5, pictures him as a bird taking the seed of God's Word before it reaches the heart of man. He's described as a wolf trying to defeat God's flock. John 10, verse 12, Matthew 10, 16. He's described as a lion in 1 Peter 5, 8, seeking, to, seeking whom he may devour. He's described in Revelation 12 as the dragon seeking to destroy the Son of God. Here's the point. Don't mess with Satan. Don't mess with sin. Satan softens it to the point to where he will convince you it's not as bad as you've heard it was or it's not as bad that you might think it's been. You say, well, what's sin, Brother Sammy? Well, the Bible says sin, first of all, is missing the mark. The Bible says that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We, we've missed the mark. We've fallen short of the expectations of God's, uh, for God that God has for us. We've missed His expectations in our life. The Bible says also that sin is a transgression. It's called a transgression. And that's where we break the law of God or the laws of God. But let me tell you what sin is. What venom is in the fangs of a rattlesnake. Sin is in the fangs of Satan. And Satan wants to latch onto you and pump your life 
full of that particular sin that will destroy your life and destroy your relationships. Destroy your relationship with spouses, with family, with church, close friends, and eventually destroy your life. For the Bible says, Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, the thief comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But he said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so when he traps you in this sin, he tries to make sin not sound so sinful. And so he changes the words of sin, changes the names of sin. For instance, in verse 9, he, he, in our culture today, we've seen the change of these names that the Bible has for sins. Fornication, for instance. We, we don't use the word fornication anymore. We don't say, well, you know, maybe we can go on a date and after date we'll go home or go somewhere and we can fornicate for a while. Huh, that, that don't sound too good. That's not romantic. But we talk about free love and, and we talk about being broad-minded when it comes to those things. Idolatry, we don't call it idolatry anymore. We refer to it now as humanism, man solving his own problem, being the captain of his own soul, captain of his own destiny. It's where you elevate yourself to God. You do what you want to do, when you want to do it. I'm free. I'm not hurting anyone but myself. That's idolatry. You've elevated yourself above God Almighty. Then you have adultery. Definition of adultery is sexual acts outside of a marriage partnership. But we don't call that adultery anymore. We call it an affair. Or we call it open marriage. A lot of these uh, Hollywood actors have this open marriage relationship where they're married to a spouse, but he sees who he wants to see, she sees who she wants to see. It's just, we just have this open relationship. Really. God calls it adultery. And he says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 and 11, that an adulterer will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Then you have your infeminate, the homosexual. Those who exchange and corrupt normal male-female roles and relations, which also include transvestism, sex change, and homosexuality, definition-wise. But the Bible says that God created His most prized possession as male and female, Genesis 1.27. And He strictly forbids the roles of those two to be blurred or to be changed or exchanged in any way. But today, our culture is deceived by Satan and calls homosexuality an alternate or an alternative lifestyle. It, really, homosexuality is not new. It's been around since the days of Sodom and Gomorrah and, and probably prior to that because did you know that the Greek philosopher Socrates was a practicing homosexual? Did you know that 14 out of the first 15 Roman emperors were practicing homosexuals? Genesis chapter 1, just to remind you, 
So, verse 27, so God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. That was his most prized possession. However, in Corinth, the view of that particular sin is the same as the cultural view in our society today. And God told the believers at Corinth, I want a church in Corinth. I want people to be strong against sin. I want people with convictions who will stand against sin. That's what he was telling the church at Corinth. I want people to kindly push the darkness out with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have a place for a church in Corinth. There is a need for a church in Corinth like there's a need for one in Phil Camel, Alabama. You see, God don't want us to withdraw from the sanctuary or build walls around the sanctuary. He wants us to walk in this world, be the salt and the light that we need to be, but we need to do that in love, at the same time, have a life that backs up our profession of faith. If you say you're a Christian, be a Christian. Live like a Christian. And that's what we're to do today. Notice he continues to mention some words. He talks about thieves. We don't call them thieves now. We call them inside traders. We call them uh, uh, misappropriation of funds, embezzlement. That just kindly glosses over the thief thing. And covetous, you know, we don't say they, we don't, you know, that's been self-assertive. Drunkards, we say that's imbibling or imbibling. That's social drinker, that drinking. That's just sampling homebrew. That's a sermon for another day. Then you have revilers, revilers, those who destroy with their tongue. They wound with their words and insults. Have a lot of that in Washington, D.C. It's terrible, terrible. You say, well, well Brother Sammy, I'm just a, I'm just a plain-spoken person. I just, I just say what's on my mind. Rip. Bible says you're a reviler. I mean, I'm just, you know, Brother Sammy, I just feel like, I just tell folks what I think. I've heard people say, you know, uh, I'm just going to say it. It's better to say it, not say it at all, things of that nature. The ESV, or the CSV, Christian Standard Version, calls it, calls it verbal abusers. Be careful. There's an old proverb I found that goes like this. It says, be smart. If you don't say anything... People will think that you're smart. And don't give away the size of your mind with your mouth. I mean, I like that. Be smart. Then he talks about extortioners, swindlers, motivational salesmen. One commentator said, You know, Jesus goes into the garden before he's crucified. He goes into the garden and there he kneels to pray, and he prays so intently that he begins to sweat blood. And he calls out to the Father, and he says, Father, let this cup pass from me. You ever wondered what was in that cup? Let this cup, we say, well, that was his crucifixion. Well, yes, that's, that's, that's a good answer. But I really believe that Jesus saw those sins mentioned in verse 9 and 10. I believe he saw every one of those sins. I believe he saw fornication, adultery, homosexuality, swindlers, thieves, drunkards, covetous. The list goes on and on. And I believe Jesus saw all those sins. And he says, listen, I'm holy and just. And if mankind is ever going to be forgiven for these sins and enter the kingdom of heaven, someone has to die. 
And he tells Father God, God, I'll do it. I'll go to the cross on their behalf, and I'll die for those sins of those people. And that's what he did. He went in your place, in my place, and he died on the cross that we could be forgiven of those sins that would keep us out of heaven. That we'd be forgiven, possessed with the Holy Spirit of God, be able to live with His righteousness and have eternal life. So sin is dangerous, sin is deceptive, but sin can be defeated. Look at verse 11. He says, and such were some of you. Can you imagine that? And such were some of you. He's talking about the sins that were present in Corinth. And in verse 11, he says, such were, that's past tense, some of you. So he's speaking about the members of the church. He said, look, some of you were like that. You were. That's past tense. You see, for years, the ministry of our church, the ministry purpose has been Mountain View Baptist Church reaching out to all people. We don't look at little sins and big sins. We try to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's our job to share the gospel. It's God's job to clean them up and to sanctify them and one day to glorify them. Notice the church were used, they were used to be, I like to call them used to be people. They were used to be people, used to be fornicators and used to be idolaters and thieves and homosexuals and drunkards and rivalers and adulterers. And the list goes greedy. They used to be like that, but they're not like that anymore because the gospel can change anybody. Don't think you can't be changed. These people were like that, but they've been changed. You don't have to stay the way that you are. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross for your sins. Raised the third day. Saved all of those who would believe on His name. That's why He came. And notice the result in verse 11. He says, some of you were that that we're like that but you've been washed that word wash indicates not baptism but it, it indicates a, a new birth you've been regenerated you have a new life you were you were washed titus 3 verse 5 listen to this not by works of righteousness which we've done but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration You've been regenerated. You've been changed. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, He just didn't fix something that was broken. He created a new person in you. You have a new life. You've been changed. Like Terry sang about a few minutes ago, I've been changed. I've been newborn. My life's been rearranged. That's what Jesus can do to a person, for a person. You've been washed. Notice you've been sanctified, set apart. When you were saved, you're separated, you're set apart. God set you apart. You belong to Him. You're His vessel. He filled you with His Holy Spirit where He could could cause you to be able to live that life that matches your profession. Whatever sin, listen, here's the whole point. Whatever sin gripped you in the past, you can continue to have victory over that sin because of the sanctifying ministry of the Holy Spirit which lives in you and gives you direction and guidance in how you should live. He filled us with the Holy Spirit. He, he, he gave us His Word. We have His power to say no. Does it mean we're going to sin? No, but we have the power to say no to sin. And then notice He's justified us. It speaks of our standing before God. We were condemned before God. 
He saved us. He washed us, sanctified us, and then He justified us. He pardoned us. He made us righteous. So sin is dangerous. Sin is deceptive. Sin can be defeated. I'm going to close with an illustration that uh, just really spoke to my heart. And it's kindly, uh, I don't know, it's, it's kind of disturbing, but I think we need to hear it because it brings about the point. Um, I heard recently how Eskimos kill wolves. And they take a sharp hunting knife, and they dip that hunting knife in the animal blood, and they freeze it. Then they, they dip that hunting knife again in animal blood, and they freeze it. And they dip it again and freeze it and dip it again and freeze it until it's just encased in a cube of ice. And they go out and they bury that with the point up. And the smell of that blood draws the attention of those wolves. And those wolves come to that hunting knife. They come to that knife. And they start licking that blood. And they continue to lick and lick and they just, they're just consumed with that blood, and they continue to lick, and they have this desire, they have this bloodlust, and they, they just almost go crazy, licking, licking, licking that knife until it gets down to the bare blade, and then they continue to lick and lick and lick and lick, and, and then they're consumed in that they have cut their tongue to the point to where they have licked their own blood, and they fall dead in the snow. Isn't amazing? Listen, when you get consumed by some sin, it's going to destroy you. And the Bible warns that sometimes people are consumed by their own, what? Lust. Well, the good news is in Jesus Christ, you can have power to say no to all those sins. And you can be reminded today that Jesus is still setting people free from all of those sins as he set that congregation from many that attended that church. He had set them free from those sins. And so, let me just plead with you today. Be very careful. Be very careful. Because the sin that thrills you will ultimately be the sin that kills you unless you have victory through Jesus Christ. Oh, listen, it's still, it's still true today. It's still true today. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. That's Jesus. And sinners that plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had to open your word. Consider 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Thank you, Lord, for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you, Lord, for the warning that we find in those verses. Help us to share it with, with people that we see day in and day out. Lord, it's serious. Sin is serious. Sin is dangerous. Sin, Father, is destructive. It's deceptive. It's destructive. And, Father, you tell us that we need to be very careful.
because Satan would have us to think that it's not as serious as your word teaches. But Lord, I thank you for the grace and mercy that's found in Jesus Christ. Help us, we pray, to share the gospel in love, in mercy and grace to those that we come in contact with. Father, you drank the cup. You suffered the sins, all these sins, and many more. So we pray today. I pray for any person here today who's never trusted Jesus Christ. Maybe they've never committed these moral sins we talked about today, these immoral sins. But, Father, without you, they may be a good person, but it's not about words. It's, it's about grace. And it's about faith in Jesus. And I pray today that for, for anyone here who's never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life, Today, they'll come, place faith in you, trust you, turn from their sin, turn to you, ask you to forgive them. You'll cleanse them, you'll forgive them, you'll justify them, you'll sanctify them. Lord, you'll have them as a new vessel and you'll work through them. I pray today that many will come. Thank you for what you're going to do. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.